Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Well, I've been very blessed to have experienced uh, many, many redemption stories, some of which are just uh, miraculous. And I think that we live in a time in which we wonder if God is still active in our lives. So I find that God often meets us at the most desperate places and times. And so I've seen that with a number of clients. And he writes about it in his latest book, Eternal Justice. We're joined today by Philip Remington Dunn. He's not only an author, but a defense attorney. Now, what is it like to be a defense lawyer and a Christian? And how does his faith influence the way that he represents his client? He's going to share all of this and how God is still intervening even in the midst of the darkest times today on Connections. We're joined today by Philip Remington Dunn. He is an author as well as a criminal defense attorney. You're a criminal defense attorney. You're a Christian. Tell us a little bit about that and what it's like to be in a role like that and be a Christian. Because when you think defense, defense attorney, it's challenging to put those two together. Well, originally that's what I thought. And I wanted to be a prosecutor and um, the Lord got a hold of me and I need a job real bad. And I did an interview in the DA's office and it went really well. But then I went down and immediately got an interview with a public defender and they called and hired me that day. And I started there instead of a, as a district attorney. And it was directly a result of my prayer, uh, your will be done. And what I found for myself was I am much too uh, compassionate, I would say, a person uh, to be a prosecutor. I had uh, from the beginning a great deal of uh, compassion for the people, even though in the vast majority of circumstances, the troubles they face are of their own making. And what I found was, is this was a very rich uh, harvest for uh, saving souls if you could address the actual cause of what brought them into the criminal justice system. Usually it was drugs or alcohol, sometimes anger, greed, everything else you can think of within the sin category. So I was able to kind of shift my practice towards a greater victory, and that was to address the underlying problems of why people wind up in the system. What was it like when you first entered? Because you said, you know, in the beginning, you kind of thought, yeah, that was going to be difficult. And you shared how, yes, now you've been able to change that. But when you first became a defense attorney and and you went into that world, was it eye-opening for you? Was it surprising? Yeah. um, Though from the the beginning, I enjoyed being the underdog. Um, That's also something that was kind of inherently a part of my uh, personality. But... the thing that really led me to uh, the place I've been all these decades now is the realization that the people that uh, you would get out of jail one week would be back and the next week 
and that it was a revolving door, usually having to deal with addiction. So that was very frustrating. And then I had the experience of meeting a pastor from uh, the Victory Outreach Church in the courtroom who was sitting there waiting for the judge to sentence one man to his rehabilitation program. And so we got the judge to do it and it worked. And so I've literally had hundreds of people since then go through similar programs, whether they be the Salvation Army or Teen Challenge or so many more on a local level that I found that there was what I was looking for ultimately was victory and it was in Jesus Christ. And so that's what I learned from following <laughs> what the Lord had set out for me from the beginning. You mentioned it a little bit, but how does your faith influence the way you represent your clients? Well, that's in a very good question. Um, so there can be times where it's difficult. Um, you know, there are times where uh, the desires of the client are in conflict with what you know to be the truth. And I started as a public defender. And one of the reasons why I quit is when you're a public defender, you can't just say, no, I won't do that. <laughs> I, you know, or I, I don't want your case anymore or I quit. You know, you have to stick it out as a de deputy public defender. So I went into private practice so I could pick and choose my clients. And so quite often in my initial interviews, and what people don't realize is most, the vast majority of people know what got them there and they're afraid. And, you know, we're not looking at trying to prove them innocent, even though they're guilty. We're trying to mitigate the damage of their own behavior. And so oftentimes I'll ask them what their religious background is. And if they have any Christian affiliation, then I have something to plug them into right away. So that's most of the time how my initial interviews go. Not only are you a defense attorney, you're also an author. You've written a couple of books. Uh, your latest book is Eternal Justice, How God Intervenes for the Least of Us. Tell us about this book and why you decided to put it together. Well, I've been very blessed to have experienced uh, many, many redemption stories, some of which are just uh, miraculous. And I think that we live in a time in which we wonder if God is still active in our lives. And so I find that God often meets us at the most desperate places and times. And so I've seen that with a number of clients, but also in some of my other travels in Mexico and in prisons, I worked with a foundation for three years where we went inside 23 prisons and started a uh, program that was the equivalent of a master's degree in Christian theology inside of state prisons. And, you know, seeing the young men and women graduate with a degree in prison, there's nothing quite like it, as their parents who see it often say it's the first thing they've ever graduated from. So, 
all of this has led me to a <clears throat> place of where I've seen uh, God intervene in various places and in many people's lives. Uh, one of the stories is about my representation of Sergeant Andrew Tamarisi, who was imprisoned in Mexico. And at the time, it got a great deal of uh, media attention. And others involved, uh, for instance, a dear friend of mine who was a police officer who developed a very serious cocaine addiction and how he came back all the way from that and got into the rehabilitation, the moral rehabilitation business. And we've been working together for so many years. So there are a lot of different stories in various places and uh, all kinds of circumstances, courtrooms, prisons, uh, Mexico in two different occasions and all kinds of different people who share one thing in common. And that is, is at very critical times in their life, uh, God intervened. And that's what the stories are about. And it's beautiful what can come out of that. Like you said, you've managed to help these people. But did you have kickback from people, too, and from other Christians that are like, well, hey, why are you doing this? And where's the proof in all of this? The proof is in the actual experience. So as an attorney, you need to have evidence. And evidence includes testimony. And so these are the testimonies of all the individuals involved. And so it's called experiential evidence. And so, you know, when you're dealing with things of a spiritual in the spiritual realm or even within uh, the realm of the criminal justice system, you are not dealing with equations that are mathematically absolute. However, you are dealing with proof in the criminal justice system beyond a reasonable doubt. And that, I think, is the level of proof and the type of evidence that's presented in the book. And that is, is that when you look and read at all the, the stories that are there, I don't think anyone who's a rational person would come to any other conclusion. And that, and that is, is that there is a God and that he does still participate in our lives in a very real way if you search it out. <clears throat> so that's what the book's about. And, you know, in terms of other Christians, um, you know, the premise of the book, no, I don't get a lot of um, pushback on that, um, you know, but there's a lot of people that are um, Christians who uh, have a hard time initially understanding exactly what I do and how I do it. But in explaining it, I think um, it's it's been a great, great journey. And I think it's uh, things have come around to sort of more to the perspective that uh, I have I've been presenting for a long time. And people like Chuck Colson, who uh, was a friend of mine and, and went to prison with him and so forth. People are beginning to understand that when Christ said, visit the prisoner, he knew it was because there's such a rich harvest there. What's very interesting in all this, too, is quite often, and you kind of talked about this a little bit, is that like when it comes down to a criminal, they have a story behind them. And if we actually sit down and listen to these stories, 
These are people who have experienced trauma before all of this, which has led them down this road. And if we take the time to listen, we'd be surprised at the stories behind these people. There's usually a reason why somebody winds up in the criminal justice system. And the vast majority of the circumstances are, is they grew up in a situation in which, you know, they had no moral training. Uh, oftentimes their parents, the father's not around and the mother's an addict. Um, and this is, you know, very common. And so, for instance, that's particularly in the United States where we have, you know, all kinds of gang problems, as many as a million registered gang members in various, you know, throughout the country. It's no longer in, in, just in big cities. It's everywhere because they come out of the state prison system back into the communities and they form gangs there. And this is a, you know, largely a result of just the fact that they never had parents and they turned to peers and a very um, unhealthy place and circumstance. But there's enormous uh, good being done in offering alternatives to that. And the way out is through Jesus Christ. And that's what I've seen work. And I'm here to tell you, I've seen it work over and over hundreds of times. And it's been just a, a beautiful, beautiful journey. What would you say has been the most memorable experience for you in seeing this eternal justice and seeing people make their way back to God? <clears throat> well, I, I, I put them in the book. Um, so I, I think um, for me, I did a, a case for uh, someone who was looking at Oh, I think it was, what, 26 years in prison, robbery. It was, he got really drunk and, <clears throat> you know, just sort of what we call a strong arm robbery. He didn't have a gun, but he um, just told these two gals to give him money, and they did. And so his mother hired me uh, because she went to the phone book, and she prayed over it and picked my name out came in and she prayed over him and the title of the story is the candlesticks because I tell the story of the bishop and John Valjean to the judge and ultimately say today the candlesticks are in, in your hands your honor and the judge did something that was ex so extraordinary he struck all the prior offenses and so forth and gave him a year in the rehabilitation home at Victory Outreach. And his mother had told him the day before that he would never do a day in prison, even though he'd been there before. And I, when he told me that, I said, well, when God tells me that, I'll believe it. So then I walked out of that courtroom and I saw her on her knees thanking God for saving her son. And I realized that, you know, she was a prophet and that a true miracle had happened. And I just got to be witness to it. I feel like if we were all to do things the way you're doing things, this world would be a better place. And who knows, maybe, you know, our jails wouldn't be overflowing. 
uh, people would be back in their homes. People would be back with their families. It's as simple as taking that time, remembering that, you know, God knows what he's doing. And again, going back to their stories and hearing them and listening. Yeah, you know, I, I started out with the idea of, you know, someday maybe we'll reform the system. And, and I've seen that happen politically now and where I work most of the time in California, which for a long time was the most brutal place to be in the criminal justice world, which will probably surprise people. But what I've learned along the way is, you know, it's not about trying to reform the system or the government. It's really about each individual soul. And so I put it this way, as C.S. Lewis said, that a great revelation in his life was the realization that the survival of an individual soul is more significant than the survival of a nation because nations come and go, come and go, but a soul is immortal. Mm-hmm. And this is seeing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So God isn't so worried about nations. He's worried about the people within those nations and each and every one of those individual souls. And so to the extent that we can ever assist any one of those souls to move them closer to Jesus, that's that's really what the Great Commission is all about. Definitely. Going back to your book, uh, tell us a little bit about what people can expect and why they should pick this book up. Well, I think they can expect the unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, the first story is just so miraculous, you know, the heaviest guy I ever knew, you know, with a background of, you know, extreme violence and, you know, how his life was completely changed. And so, and there's also a story that, um, isn't a happy ending, but it's, it's, Seems like it would be, but it's personal to me, and it was a humbling story. So you don't necessarily know what you're going to get with each one of the stories. Um, But I'll tell you this, you're going to get the truth. And that's why I wrote it, is because to have been witness to these kinds of truths is something that I wanted to really share and I think can maybe help some other people along the path. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of parents, a lot of people who very much love someone who's caught up in the cycle of addiction, caught up in the criminal justice system, and they've given up. They have no hope. So really what I'd say the book ultimately about is about is hope. And there's hope for the least of us. And you've definitely proven that just in the one story that you shared with us. And obviously, if you pick up the book, you're going to hear about some other stories out there. For those who want to learn more about you, want to find out what you're up to and want to find out about this book, how can they go about doing that? Uh, You can go to my website, which is philipremingtondunn.com. The book's on Amazon, Eternal Justice by Philip Remington Dunn. 
and uh, the publisher is Fidelis. And so any one of those three, if you uh, Google them, I think you'll find your way <laughs> to the book, <laughs> Eternal Justice. Thank you so much for making time for us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.